One, two. Nate Sterling, Daily Doppy. I'm writing next time. I'm writing for next time. We should. Let's, hey. We can go buff. <laughs> let's go off the top. He's still got him. He's still got him. Like Angelo, no, old school sound system, man. Dying to drop some. Band, man. Wheel it. With his education, there's no chance I'm going bath about no, it. No, not at all. <laughs> bring, no it'll, it'll be like listening to uh, what's it like the jizzer, like and the rizzer. <laughs> Every words I'm like googling. <laughs> the fuck does that mean? Soliloquy. <laughs> <laughs> oh my Welcome to Black Guys in a Box. I can't say how long it's been since five of us have been together because there's only four of us here. <laughs> it has yeah. been a while since we've had a full sort of Avengers lineup, but hectic we'll summers. Yeah, hectic summers, schedules, whatever cheer is up to. <laughs> you can't see Nate, but he's, he's looking a little worse for wear. But he's it's, looking good, he's hey. bright. There's some hope and optimism there. I don't know how long it's going to last. <laughs> Always. But I'm pretty sure he'll be able to take us through through the podcast. You've got an hour and a half in you Easy. of good stuff. Easy. Gold. Easy. Beautiful. <laughs> Dom, how you doing? How's things? All good, man. All good. I'm All right. back and I'm on it again. Good. Been on his travels. And Angelo. Good. Ready got to drop some bombs. Ready. <laughs> he's got his corn. Look at that bag, it's huge, it's bulging. <laughs> it's a proper, it's a dark sax. I don't know whose names are on what, but. Because <laughs> all dark sax look the same. <laughs> oh, God. Shall I just go? <laughs> um, right, okay, so we've got an amazing list of things to discuss, and we're just going to jump straight in. Yeah. And I think, like, I thought it was great. Who suggested we're going to talk about our cultural growing up? Because obviously, it is. A Black History Month special. Um, why not talk about ourselves and our own history and the things that have brought us up to here and also yeah. the things that have led us to be able to offer our thoughts and opinions on everything we're going to be talking about today. So whose idea was this? I think it was mine. It was, it was a while back because obviously if you think back to when we started with our blog posts, Still waiting on yours, man. We're not gonna, we're not gonna find let that out go. on the next episode <laughs> of Black Guys in a Box. Will Kofi upload his origin his piece? His origin. Piece. <laughs> it's, it's. Can we coming. just go? Can we just? <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. Yeah. So when I was writing about those, that was that was one of the um, the first things that I touched upon in growing up in a very white space and how my culture interacted with that that upbringing that I had um, in Homeforth, which is. I mean, it must be one of the whitest places in the country. Beautiful place, Nate. You've been there, um, but it's not. What's it got? Home, home first. Home first. How far? Have you that? ever seen Last of the Summer Wine? Yes, unfortunately. The institution <laughs> that it is. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I grew up. Oh, okay. That's where I grew up. So it's one of those where you've got more sheep than you have actual people. Really? It's, it's, yeah. I, 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 I thought you might. I thought you grew up around an area like that, like Rotherham and stuff. That was more town based. Rotherham. Rotherham. <laughs> Sheffield, no. <laughs> you know, I thought it was more like city town no, base rather than. Really? <laughs> wow, dog, I've got so much more respect for you now. Jeez. Wow. So that's, that's where I grew up, and it was one of those things where your culture obviously defines you in so many different ways, but on a day to day basis, there's none of that around you. There's, there's no black people around. I think me and Dan were maybe like two of five or six non white people in our really? school. Really? And when you've got 1,300 people there, and 
the the flavour of the month was always it was like the kooks or it was that kind of Rizzo stuff. Like, and I've got yeah, nothing against yeah. it, but that wasn't, that wasn't that me. Sort of thing, that wasn't yeah. me. So I thought let's let's get into the conversation. I want to see what it was like for you guys as okay. well. Um, how you got to terms with your culture versus the place that you're working and living in, or not even versus just how it interacted mm. with, uh, is, with the surroundings. Is your mum still there? She is. Right. Okay. She is she is. only the the only black woman there, or is there's no. a few more rolled in? <laughs> no, it's it's weird. It's like it's like reverse gentrification. <laughs> oh, God. They're all moving in now. <laughs> we don't like it. <laughs> they don't like it at all. No, I was I was there a couple of weeks back, and um, I saw a few black faces which I didn't recognise. And and usually, if I see a black face or an Asian face in Home Firth, it's like, oh, this is my guy. I went to school with him, and I was like, what's What's going on, man? This right, is right. different now. It's, uh, it's interesting, man, because I think back to when when we first moved there, it was 1992, uh, my mum, myself, and I only found this out a couple of years ago, that when we moved onto our street, a woman started a petition to move us off the street because no. there were people there. No. So that's that's the kind of area that I grew up in. And I'm she... not saying it was like that every day, but... That happened. Is man. she still there? Is she still in the area? Different. That well, lady. Still within the, oh no, she's long dead. Oh, I was going to say, if she was there, we, <laughs> we need to stop this podcast now and go and egg her house. <laughs> you wrinkle old witch, man. She's gone. She's gone. Um, Jeez. But yeah, she's a horrible lady, horrible lady. But that is, that is what you see around there. And it's not everyone. I mean, the vast majority of my upbringing in that area was beautiful. It was great, a great place to grow up. But you did have the unsavory as well. And that's an example of it. It's something that most people shouldn't and don't have to go through mm. but that was that's what it like was what was like where i grew up man i think that's that was kind of you know when i was sat down thinking about this topic that's it for me it's my culture largely i'm so proud of it i'm so like happy about it i'm i'm so grateful for it you know mm-hmm. there's uh, there's so much i think about growing up about you know going to my aunties to get my hair braided and spending time with her in the neighborhood yeah. um going to my grandma's for you know for food and the whole family being there on boxing day on christmases you know that kind of stuff it was largely like always positive things surrounding yeah. it but then i think as you get older and you start to interact with more people and dom you know we were chatting about this outside i went to school in halifax right and halifax is is, is a very white town and it is a very working class town. And, you know, I'm not saying that has instant connotations, but as a kind of black kid growing up and going to school where I was one of six yeah. black kids, you just notice that, you know, things stand out. And for me, it was always largely positive. You know? yeah. I can't lie, probably girls paid me a bit more attention because mm. my afro and they wanted cute little black babies as fucked as that may be, or, you know. <laughs> so it's weird. It kind of crossed that. It, for me, it was largely positive, but sometimes it crossed into a weird space where you yeah. kind of like... You're like, wait a minute, you're just talking about my hair. Mm. Like, it's my hair. It's not like, uh, it's, it's not, me. not anymore. Angelo wants to go. Angelo wants to fuck. A minute silence, please. <laughs> but, you know, it's, I'm holding my shot. Uh, yeah, I'm it's holding my shot. Please, you're going to pop and burst the mics. <laughs> <laughs> I, got, I got a fully loaded chamber. I don't need to go in there, man. But, you know, it's it just crossed into this weird space where you're like just almost just uncomfortable with it you know sometimes for me it's like i don't want my blackness pointing out all mm. the time yeah i know i'm black i'm proud of it i'm i'm you know whatever else but like sometimes just leave it out mm. you know i'm i'm still well, well let me jump on there because I, what you just said i think is very interesting when i started thinking about this topic and culture I, one of the things i wrote down was 
you know, it was painful discovering from, that I was labelled black and nothing I did could change that. Mm. And and to be clear, obviously we're called black guys in a box. I mean, black as a label of cultural erasure. Yeah. When I think about my childhood growing up, my first memories have nothing to do with colour. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about hanging out with family. It's the music that mm-hmm. I listened to. It's the food that we ate. It has nothing to do with colour because I spent my first few years in London, uh, Gypsy Hill, Brixton, Tulls Hill, kind of southeast London. Uh, and we moved from London to Canterbury in, <coughs> in Kent in the 80s. And it was it was weird discovering that I was different because I'd never looked at other people. Because the thing is, is, you know, I don't know what age it is that you look at yourself and go, oh, I'm black. You just see people when yeah. you're young. You just see people. And um, one of the places that we... The first place that we moved to actually in, in Canterbury was actually a women's refuge, and it's one of the one of the best places I've been to because there's no ego there. Like, look, we're all here for the same reason. Like, mm. don't, like let's not. No one goes there for like a five star holiday. Yeah. Um, but I just, I'll never forget um, playing with the kids, and they were like, "You can't play with me because I'm brown, because mm. you're brown." And I, I'll never forget it because I think about it often. I just went, "What? Well, the palms of my hand on." Mm-hmm. Nice. And 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 it wasn't even I didn't even understand that it was race. I was just like, why are you kind of was why, it, is, why is this different? Yeah. Was it case well the palms on my hand out so slap? <laughs> yeah. But it was the thing is is though these were some of the nicest kids I've ever met. They're they're like the mum like the mums would just wash all the kids, they just throw the kids in the bath, we'd all kind of bath together. Um it wasn't it really wasn't but it was that idea that kind of I was different, and, and it was, as I say, painful discovering that I was labelled black. I've, I've, I've said in one of the earlier podcasts, I'm only black because the world tells me. Mm. Yeah. You know, I consider myself Andrew. I've never introduced somebody and had to go, oh, "I'm Andrew, I'm black," because because I'm I'm not black. Yeah. You know, and and it's really so. I was obviously at uni, and I wrote my um, thesis on um, Afrofuturism, and a lot of the writers that I looked at from the 20s would be described as post-race yeah. because, you know, race is a social construct and black is a social construct. My experience as a person of Jamaican and then a shanty heritage would be very different to Dom's. We might have listened to the same tunes, but they hit differently. Mm, yeah. um, but from, you know, our family's probably from different parts of Jamaica. They'd be certainly from different parts of the Ashanti region, um, which is where they were taken from. And then as I got older and I started doing more, it's like, can I really call myself Jamaican when the original people of Jamaica were the Arawaks? Mm. You know, like they don't get mentioned at all. And so my culture growing up, uh, up and you know certainly through primary school was was a confusing time because it's like well why am I being labelled as different? Mm-hmm. Why is something that I do getting punished when I do exactly the same thing as somebody mm-hmm. else? And it's it might even be funny when they do it, but it's and punished when I'm not. And I think something that we can probably all kind of uh, empathise with is that uh, certainly in my teenage years I moved very much into the worlds of music and sport yeah. mm-hmm. because I found that they were. They're not perfect, but they were better represented, and there seemed to be more uh, objective reality in them. It's like, okay, well, I'm going to be selected for the rugby team because I'm good, and it wasn't just because I was big; it's because I'm actually talented. I'm going to listen to me and uh, Kofi were talking about this in the car. You know, we're talking about the year 1999, and you know, DMX might have released an album and. You know, there might have been all the, you know, I think that's the same year that Corrupt's Back That Ass Up came out. Yeah. But I was listening to Most Deaf Black on both sides. You know, that album changed my life. I was listening to, um, even though it was a year old at that point, it was um, 
the Gangstar 10 year album. That that album changed my life. That was where I was looking because I was seeing guys that looked like me. And even though they were talking about the Bronx, Harlem, they were talking about experiences that that I could very much understand. Yeah. And and the messages that were coming out were very positive. And I think that I you know I, I, there was still discrimination. Don't get me wrong. Um, you know, they were, one of the most kind of influential evenings of my life was uh, a basketball awards night where I won every award but shared them. Uh, and, and it was, and, and, and the coach coming up to me afterwards and saying, "Yeah, you probably should have won all of them, but we think it would have sent a, a bad message to the rest of the team." A bad message, what? That you're talented and you can, to inspire other people to work harder. But, but the, and so this is, I don't even know, but because. As somebody that's obviously worked with, I've worked in education for you know pretty much a decade now. Um, what he didn't realise was the negative impact that had on me. Yeah. It was okay. So doesn't matter how well I do, I'm always I'm going to have. And it's it's I understand it's a team sport. I don't win by myself, but it's then don't give me all the awards. Don't make me share the awards. Yeah. Just give me one award or two awards. Don't be like we're going to give you a award, but we're going to have to you know add some. M milk to the chocolate you know yeah. otherwise it's, it's, it's inedible and I think that's a bit like it's a bit bullshit that individual achievement should it goes it's, it's kind of getting hidden and overlooked because like yeah you're right it is a team sport but there is something about being rewarded as an individual as your part to play in the team especially as a child mm. yeah you feel like you can't, it's hard to feel part of something and to know that you're contributing to something to like a greater good when you're that age rather than I'm just going to go out and run around with my mates rather than thinking oh I'm actually like there's something here that I as an individual might be able to sort of follow through with or I'm good at because you, you never really realise that when you're younger do you? I and think. I think it's even bigger than that you know as as a teenager I think you know I went to high school and um, I walked right into the rugby team I've mentioned it on a previous podcast because you know of my name so I was like, in the team and it was weird because for once I was in a position of privilege mm. because of because of my identity. Yeah. You know, it wasn't being used against me. And usually, you know, oh, I'd do something and uh, annoy someone, piss someone off, whatever, or even just exist sometimes. And they'd was be that like, league or union? Uh, league, yeah. yeah. Um, well, no, sorry, I played union okay. in, in yeah. high school. Um, and yeah, I, I was good at it. I was fast. You know, it was something I enjoyed. All of a sudden, it gave me a real sense of identity that rewarded me in social environments you know mm. it's it's a cliche but <coughs> when you're in high school and you're part of the rugby team and you're winning life is very life mm. is is different it's to when you're yeah. just on the fringes of of of, of the groups <coughs> or whatever else for for whatever reason so for me it was it was it was odd but something that i never really was aware of at the time yeah. but now obviously looking back it was a uh, it was, it was, I was yeah, thinking about this. I was thinking about this when we were discussing the topics to, to actually put into this episode um, and my culture growing up. And one of those things, obviously, was sport, which you were all talking about here. And I was thinking, had I not been a good athlete, would I have been a bit more disconnected from the black Jamaican side of me? Yes. Would I have been more disconnected? Because so much of the culture that I took in was through basketball. All of my favourite players were black. And they were very, in the US as well, at the time when I was getting into sport, into the NBA, there was a lot of personalities, a lot of ego. You mm. know what I mean, Alan Iverson was the guy for me, and that was a side of blackness which I was absorbing when I was 12, 13 years old. Practice, <laughs> not, a practice. not a game, not a game. Practice. <laughs> we sitting here. I supposed to be the franchise player, and we in here talking about practice. I mean, it, listen, we talking about practice, not a game, not a game, not a game. We talking about practice.
And that, that's what I mean. So if I didn't have him, if I didn't have Thierry Henry, Ian Wright, yeah. if I didn't have, I mean, his his name's been dragged through the mud now, but Maurice Green back in the day as well. If I didn't have this connection to uh, to, to sports, mm. then maybe maybe things would be very different. Yeah. Just, mate, just going back to something that you said. I find it interesting that it's rugby union because I, I'm obviously World Cup's happening as we're recording this, yeah. and I'm looking at it, I'm looking at the England team. I'm like, I'm so genuinely kind of I, I do feel a certain way seeing kind of Mara Ritoje playing, Lewis mm. Ludlam getting game time. You've got Jonathan Josephs in the squad, Anthony Watson kind of is in the squad as well. Um, and I just think back to my experience when I first started playing rugby and the comments that you would hear because. I should have stayed with rugby. I was I was a I was a better rugby player than a basketball player. I was I was a decent rugby. I'm not saying I was great. I'm not saying that I would have got paid for playing it. But I was six foot five from a young age, decent quick feet, and I just kind of went. I'm going to go with basketball, even though I'm not as good at it. Because, and and I think it was a class thing. You know, a lot of the kids I played with at basketball were white, but they were working class. They were from they were from estates too. Yeah. And also, we would play other teams of color, mm. <laughs> you know, with, with people. And, and I'm not just talking black. There, you know, there was um, a, a team in just south of London that had um, a lot of Sikhs in it. So you would have guys that were wearing the, the turbans and cool. their, their headdress. And it's like kind of, for me, it was just rugby has a lot. I know rugby has lost so many talented yeah. uh, young people of color because they haven't treated them mm -hmm. right and mm -hmm. the biggest example of that I, I think i might have mentioned it before is my little brother my little brother is my little brother i genuinely believe my little brother should be at this world cup he he was that talented he was a fullback he's six foot six he is devastatingly quick there was a racist incident at a tournament the rfu kind of tried to sweep it under the carpet and he went i'm gonna go and play basketball mm -hmm. right. well it's it's interesting to kind of pick up on that was um You've mentioned class there, and I think for me, I went to a grammar free grammar school, and I was into you know interacting with people that you know. I, w I remember I went to one birthday party, and they've got all kinds of stuff in their house. So I'm thinking, is this MTV Cribs or yeah. whatever? <laughs> but like, it's so once again, I was talented playing rugby. I trialed for Yorkshire, um, played for Yorkshire, got into um, trialing for like Leeds and stuff. So my um, humble brags, right? Oh, mm. you know me. I'm the king of the humble brag. <laughs> but like, the experience was really interesting because actually, like, I did see like black faces when I was playing you know they were black what well, I I was a black boy at the time they looked like black men you know in terms of I was undersized or whatever and I think it was it was never that for me it was always just I'm the perfect example was when we went to um uh, Quegg's Queen Elizabeth mm. Grammar School for a tournament and that for me was like wow this is like how the other half like go to school not even live yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is just how they go to school like, and don't get me wrong, my school was awesome. The experiences I had, I was extremely privileged and, and grateful for. But it was just kind of one of those moments. I was, I think I was more intimi intimidated by the grandeur mm. of that than by the lack of, like, people that looked like me at the time. Tell you what was just... jokes, playing football in around Huddersfield, right? I remember we used to play against teams and most teams were all white. And whenever we came up against a team that had a black guy, Bearing in mind, I'm on the team as well. The other lads be like, "Bloody hell, he looks good." I do find it interesting that a lot of this is centered around sports and music. Like, was anybody ever pushed or encouraged to look at other avenues, other channels? Yeah. Because there's a few things that you guys have all said, which when you mentioned the thing about the kids and you can't 
do that because you're black. I remember a kid saying to me when I was, I think I was six, seven, we used to have this thing at school where if you finish your homework, if you finish your classwork or your book early, you could put on a costume. I don't know if I mentioned this in the podcast before, a kid was like, you can't yeah. wear that Superman costume because Superman's black. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, Superman's not black. And I remember taking those moments and being like, okay, am I constantly, I remember taking that and thinking, am I constantly going to be judged on what I do because of how I look? And it took me a long time to sort of shake that. Even yeah. when it came to sports and thinking, okay, am I actually good? Am I actually being picked because I'm a, I'm a talent or I've got the skills or am I being picked because... I'm a big black mm. kid and that adds some sort of, I don't know, advancement, achievement to the team as opposed to what I can offer as an athlete. And yeah. I don't know if you guys had that sort of, that niggling in the back of your mind. I, that's really interesting for me because I think it's even even something I feel to this day now. You know, when, some, when an opportunity comes my way, when I'm given something, when I've worked for something, I'm offered something, whatever, and you kind of, there's always a question, like, why am I getting this? And I think that's for me quite sad. Mm. Yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> it's quite sad that like. What's your reaction to you that know? though? When you ask yourself that question, what's your reaction? Usually, it's not nah, shut up, man. Like you've worked hard for this. Like, and also like I I can choose how to kind of validate myself and yeah. and, and I look at it as now. Wait a minute. Even if that is a factor in it, which mm. it may be, because sometimes you know you need a black face for the for a picture or mm. not whatever. Or just the fact I stand out more because I'm black or whatever else. Like, hey, that's I didn't, you know, deal these cards to me. And instead, mm. like, I'm not gonna allow that to dictate my successes. Now I work hard I, for what I get, and 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 that's enough. Well, let's me. just talk about choice quickly. And I think that, and again, this isn't a humble brag. There are six degrees sitting around this table, and there'd be another one if if Dan was here. I think that. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. Um, well, you, you, you did it first. <laughs> but, but my point is, is that you talk about choice. I think that I was, I was extremely academic as a child. I was, pro I was a better academic than I was a sports person. You know, my mum was like militant with it. She wanted me. She wanted to make sure that I knew my numbers, my letters. Amen. So yeah. I, I, I remember my first day of reception. I was already, I was already reading full books. So they give you the kind of, mm. you know the house on three corners or the Biff and Chip books yeah. and, and, and you know first day of school my mum says well what reading book have you been given I show her and she's like turning the car around <laughs> you know she's getting full Jamaican nah 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 <laughs> but, but what was really interesting about it was that they just kind of two things happened after that I was allowed to read whatever I wanted but they also kind of they labelled me as a problem so one of the things is I kind of got moved up a year in primary school. I, I went from class one to class three. Um, and But what was, the funny thing about that was I kind of took it for granted. And they, I think the kids would have bullied me if I wasn't bigger than them. Mm -hmm. um, I think they tried to kind of belittle me, but it was like you don't even have the, like, you don't have the range to do it. Yeah, yeah. But then what happened at second, so I went to um, a selective grammar school um, and I kind of turned away from education and, and the big thing for me was the end of year seven do the maths exam get one of the highest scores and put in the it was only top set and bottom set in year eight and I was told it was about my attitude and who I was hanging mm. out with so at that moment oh. I was like well education's dead to me oh. it's completely dead to me so I remember wow. like actively withdrawing like not doing homeworks not being interested and so but to bring it back to your yeah. thing about choice though is I had to kind of and it really didn't happen until I went back into education and sit down and go, hold on a second. Me withdrawing from education is like punching myself in the face and yeah. hoping that the person that has hurt me hurts. Yeah. It's, it's, it's only damaging myself. But I think because we're all intelligent, I think we've all kind of been able to 
reconcile that we're not just football players or just just musicians mm. we can be what whatever the hell we want to be so do you think that an element of that comes from having more black and brown faces in schools making sure you've got people in your corner because I've never been in an educational institution where there's been a black teacher let alone I've never been taught by a black person every teacher I've had the majority of them have always second guessed things that I've done when I've done well. I think, like, I, I honestly think that, that makes a huge, a huge difference because mm. we had one teacher of color at my high school that taught me, and I think we may have had two whilst I was there, but only one taught me, Miss Iftika. And, and the one subject that I just could not get my head around during GCSE was chemistry, right? And Miss Iftika, I think she was Sikh. Um, and she could see that I was struggling. I mean, I was a straight A student, but I was getting like D's and C's in chemistry. And she was, <laughs> you've just been terribly intelligent for the last five minutes. So um, she would actually stay back every time after our session on a Thursday afternoon and just give me like another half an hour, an hour, just to make sure that I hit it. And chemistry was actually the grade, I think I got the lowest grade of, of my set was in chemistry, but it was the one that I was most proud of mm. because of the extra work that I had to put in and the care and attention that Miss Iftika saw, she was like, this is a guy here that he probably needs a leg up in society. So let me help him to achieve what he can achieve. I think it, and how do I say this? It's not, I guess having like the right sort of, I could say woke white teachers that will sort of realise that and want to help you. I had the same situation with physics. And I think if maybe if this teacher his daughter went to school with my sister. If he was like, look, I can give Kofi a hand with his physics. And he noticed that I needed a bit of help. It was, it was a bit more welcoming as, as opposed to when you go to a teacher. And I had the same thing at um, a case with a few people, teachers at university. When you, you want help, you're asking for help. And it's like, oh, it's a chore. It's an issue for them to help you. Like, it's not worth their time. Yeah. Well, which was a, which, I don't know, because then you think, well, if you don't want to do your job with me, or you think I'm, I'm a write-off then, what am I supposed to do yeah. here? Well, I think there's two things to that. I think similar, like, I, I, don't, I can't think of having a black teacher. But then at the same time, I was blessed with some amazing teachers. Mm. And and, yeah. and even in my higher education, through college, through uni, you know, I've I've been really blessed with the Likewise. people I've learned from. And it's not, for me, about saying a black teacher is going to make me work harder mm. or whatever else. But yeah. I think it's just, it's important to see someone that looks like you in a position where you're going. And obviously, like I mentioned this before in, in a previous podcast about being like up here in the Northeast and being in academia, like for two years, I was the only black face in the room. Even mm. now it's it's rare, but I think for, as, as it always tends to come back to this idea of representation, it's important to see it because it gives you that sense it can be achieved mm. just by seeing it, you know, the old cliche seeing is believing, right? Yeah. And I think that's what's important. That's why I asked you the question, how you answer that internal question of am I getting this because I'm black? Because for me, I've had this conversation before and it's effectively a conversation about affirmative action. And the way that I look at it is, even if I'm not necessarily the best man for this job and I'm getting it because of my colour, it's more important than me. Because again, like you say, if there are people that are lower down within the organisation, if the people that if it's a societal thing, if it's sports, just being a black football manager, for instance, Mm -hmm. then you can see that that is something you can achieve. Mm -hmm. So for me, I take myself out of the equation. Mm -hmm. I say, okay, there might be a person that was better for this job than I am, but I'm doing this not for me. I'm doing this for the people that are actually seeing that now Mm -hmm. and believing it. And also, uh, how many people get jobs that they they're not the best candidate for or the best fit for. Mm. You know, it's, 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 a, it's a countless thing. You know, it's an yeah. endless experience. It's going to happen. So, you know, drop the guilt. And I think, yeah, that's, that's, that's important thinking, you know, I'm doing this for reasons bigger mm. than me as well, and I th- you know. I think that share, the, sh- 
the shame the shameless thing about this well the shameful thing about that is almost the guilt is almost inherited isn't it yeah. it's mm. almost it's passed on and like you said unless you have that sort of reasoning that rationale and you told the stories about your mom and how much of a champion yeah she was for you over you encouraging yeah. you some people don't have that support network it can be very hard to sort of pull themselves out of that darkness and mm -hmm. getting themselves into light because i know i've got some wonderful sisters and my mum where i'm like oh you know this thing has happened and you know what you know what black women like with black men <laughs> do you know what i mean <laughs> they, they they love us they support us they're our champions and we need to give them more yeah. whoop whoops do you know and, what i mean and it's like i guess for those people that don't have that it's what what is the solution nah, that's, what that, what can they do i think that's kind of it the, i think the final thing i've really got to say on this is the fact that i was really you know obviously my mum's white but she never ever tried to hide us from that culture mm. or, to, or you know she allowed it you know enabled us to interact with it and to discover it and uh, even now you know doesn't dictate anything mm. but instead like you say she championed it she enabled it and i think you know for a lot of it, black mixed race you know young men and, and women but, um you know it's hard for it's hard to get a sense of who you really mm. are mm -hmm. you know and so for me it's just i'm very grateful that my teachers uh, my friends, largely, you know, um, my family have always enabled me to be who I am, not just as the black person, but mm. as the complex individual yeah. that, you know, we all are. Like, yeah. I'm championed in everything from my sport to my academic stuff to my hobbies and my interests. To your hairline. To my mm. hairline, <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh, no, uh, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> One thing I've got to do, though, is, right, so I've, I'm going to con myself here, but shout out my younger brother, Matty, right? So no matter, no matter what I achieve... His first reaction to anything I post on social media is to post a, a GIF of Megamind. Every oh my time. god! <laughs> so is it like shout it, out Matty because he keeps me humble in it. And is that's it praise that's like this man. smart man? That's this important. Cool guy. It's important, man. I think <laughs> um, I had a, I had the uh, rugby coach at home was Mr. Mr. Harrison. Oh, Harrison. And he was the one that was thinking, it was like, we need to get this guy in the backs, um, get him back for interest in rugby because my first year, I was just not interested because of the team people. But because of his faith and his gamble on me and he understood me as a person that I liked my music, I liked jamming around at lunchtime and stuff, I liked my books and things. He was able to sort of mirror and marriage those two, those two worlds together. And like, he didn't have to do that. But he did. He, he he went out on a limb and he sort of he made this possible. And it's like having characters like that. I always think like, how do you actually repay them? Mm. Do you know what I mean? How do you give something back? How do you sort of? I don't know, how do you thank them in a way for giving you that extra but push? I don't, I don't, is it a thankless task? Though, I don't is think it? you need to do that though, because I think one of the reasons, and you can speak to this, because I'm I'm not qualified to do so, but. To be a teacher, surely there are people that go into teaching for those exact kind of reasons, mm. whether it's a PE coach, whether it's a rugby coach or whatever. They want other people to do well, not just on the field of play, mm. but also in other areas of life. Mm. And some of the most inspirational people for me growing up were football and sports coaches. Okay. And, and it's, it's part of the role. You're not just there to make them a better athlete. You're there to make them a better person, which is why I think sport is so important for children. Mm. Because there are so many intangible things that you learn through playing the game. And like, I think that's a great way to sort of talk about inspiring coaches, <laughs> inspiring people in sport. Um, so I don't know if you know the, the situation that's gone on with Bernardo Silva. Um, <laughs> it's laughing. It's an interesting one. Let's give, let's give an overview of it. It's quite so. Bernardo Silva tweeted. Was it? It was a note. He put something on. Yeah, his, it was was on it a tweet yeah, yeah. saying his teammate? What was his name? Uh, Benjamin, Benjamin Mendy. Benjamin Mendy looked like this. Uh, is it Khalees? What's it called? It's like a. 
Is it Calisto? It's a p- Spanish brand of like a short, stout, black character. Imagine two, monkey. two. Is it, it's a monkey. Yeah. I don't know. Well, oh yeah. right, okay. Pretty so much. it's got like this round, round head. Looks like a Maltese. Big bugging white eyes and big red lips and a, like a short pot belly. And it looks like, like a it's yeah. It looks like a minstrel that's been squashed and condensed down. And yeah. he said, look, he 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 also put out some on Instagram, Instagram story saying, look, he's turned up to training. But it looks like he's only wearing a watch. He's wearing no clothes. But you know, why why he turned up to training naked? So there's a couple of things that this individual has tweeted out about a teammate and a let's say, a friend of his. Now, one thing I, we've been talking about sport and how we've all been parts of teams and stuff like that is in these situations, said these things have happened to us on the field. So, like, we, we were sort of joking around before we started recording, like, how many times have we been out on the rugby pitch when winter falls in the UK, it gets dark around about three, four o'clock and we're out there on the pitch. Have our teammates all said stuff like, oh, do do smile or yeah, smile or open your eyes because I can't see you, it's too dark or you know like where's Dudu gone in? I always knew as winter training rolled by, I was thinking who's going to be the first to say it first? Was it going to be the coach? Was it going to be your teammate? Do you know what I mean? And it's like it's one of these things that you sort of endure because when you're a part of a team, you feel like you're a part of something. There's no animosity, no bad blood. You trust each other, you respect each other. It's all part of the and I'm doing air quotes here, all part of the banter. But yeah. some people might not see it as this way. The way that I look at it is, and I, I actually got into it with a friend on Twitter around this. I know it's obviously not the arena for it, but we had a little, <laughs> little bit of back and little forth. Draw. Because there was so much that I saw on Twitter, and you know this is always the reaction, but it's two friends having a laugh with each other. Mm. But the way that I look at it, it's like Benjamin Mendy is probably the sad clown in this situation because it's like you will put a smile on your face, you'll mm. laugh and joke, you'll laugh it off as banter, like we all did. Yeah. But inside, it's like, fuck's sake, another yeah. one of these jokes. Another one. But as part of the team dynamic, I want to stay in a team. Mm. These are my friends. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna do anything about it. And that's what I was like as a kid. And it's only since I've got older, yeah. into my twenties and whatnot, that I'm like, that no, doesn't fly. That's, that's not it. That's not. But that's not the joke. To I, make. You, we don't know. Mendy might be fine with that. You, do, you, you just don't know. But I'm not saying that's fine. Yeah. I don't think that's fine. Like he's, I'm with Dom. You know, you should just laugh it off and think, you know, whatever. But. I just don't know. We don't know what his perspective is, and yeah. the and what was it, um, what's the manager called? Uh, Pep Guardiola. Yeah. He sort of sort of brushed it, saying, "Look, they're friends," Apologize. and it's apologetic. He, I don't think the manager should be responsible look, for this. The like the grown that, men, he should know how the optics should look. Yeah, I mean, for me, I I think the band's stupid. Unless the what, sorry? Ban. if he was to get banned, right. I think they were talking about six games. I don't. Know yeah, yeah, yeah. Fun. I think if he gets banned, that's stupid. Unless there is off the back of that a real important message of this is why what he did was bad not just banning him because then it's like there's so many people that are going to be out there saying well you can't have a joke with your friend now what is this country coming to that's what you're going to get if you just slap a band there there's got to be education on the back yeah. of this and I had a situation uh, when we were in Ibiza a couple of weeks ago and I'm sorry Kofi you're going to have to cover your ears because I'm going to say it but <laughs> I was chatting to this I was chatting to a couple of these people and a Spanish lad it happened that he loved Eric Cavadu he loved the Soul Quarians, he loved all that kind of music. And then there was a track that came on, and he was singing along in his broken English, and then he looked at me and he went, You are my nigger! <laughs> and I was like, oh, for fuck's and, and when myself and my friend that was there, the way that we reacted when he saw our faces, he was like, what, what have I done? What have right, I said? Yeah. And, and for, for people like him, obviously there are some people within that country that will use it, a lot of people in Spain and Italy mm. that use it, obviously, with a lot of negativity surrounded it. But he was looking like, 
it's in the it's in the songs. I didn't yeah. think that that was, and and there there is a massive element of education that needs to be that needs to be brought around here because I'm sick of having to be the person that educates people on it because I've had that all my life, having that burden that I need to teach people when I shouldn't have to do that. I should be able to just navigate through the world and live and act as I want to without having to be the arbiter. In hmm. terms of, you can't do that. What did you say to him? What did you I just said to him, look, listen, dude, that, I don't know what it's like where you're yeah. from. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not having that. Right. And I, I could see in his face that he was genuinely really, really sorry. Okay, yeah. Well, for me, it's, it's quite simple. If you tweet a racist trope, like ignorance, stupidity, like, familiar, like familiarity between friends, that it doesn't excuse it. You know, I'm not saying, you know, that doesn't happen. I can think of, you know, times on the coach, on the basketball coach, on the rugby coach, all of that, where, you know, there's all those kind of little jokes and comments and whatever else. But they're in private domains most of the time. And at the time, I didn't have the confidence mm. to yeah. to almost... That was a sacrifice I had to make to belong, you know, to be part of the team. They were going to make jokes about my hair. Yeah. They were going to make jokes. all on social Just, media. Yeah. The thing is, yeah, you do that. What do you expect? I think you've touched on it. For me, it's like I'm sick of the goodwill. I'm sick of the campaigning. Like, there has to be a real move to, to educate, like you've said. Because what happens now? He can get banned, he can get fined. The consequences are nothing. It just builds resentment. Hmm. It just, it just, it can, can we just yeah. clarify? Are we all saying it's racist? Who, who Does everyone here think, is it racist? Is it ignorant? Right. Is it prejudiced? Or what are we saying? It's time for me to pull my strap out. I've got a fully loaded knife. I don't know what, because uh, Nate, you're, you're saying it's racist. Yeah. Dom, are you saying it's racist? We're discussing the wrong are you, thing. Are you saying it's racist? We're discussing the wrong thing. Well, That's I want to know, what do, you, what do you say? I think, I think that we're discussing a fly and not realising that the entire ointment is fettered. That's my issue. I, I don't know if you've seen what the FE board looks like, but the it's it's ten people, six male, four female, diversity, all white. What arouses my anger is the FA response. It's so easy to jump on a tweet or a comment. How many black managers are there in the English Football League? How many of those black managers have talked about having to wade through racism? Chris Houghton, uh, Sol Campbell at the time that when he was managing, you know, how many of them get one chance and then they're done? Mm. We have we have to stop talking about racism as somebody sent out a tweet of somebody with a monkey. Call me a monkey, but give me the fucking job. Mm. Like yeah. that is my anger. That is where I get so pissed off. What what and we'll get on to John Barnes or what Raheem Sterling said in defense. Doesn't matter. There is a structural issue to do with racism. But this is and, and it but it impacts everything. It's not just football. It's you know, your sisters and mine are eight times more likely to die in childbirth. Mm. That is that's wild. It's absolutely wild. We're more likely to be incarcerated, but we're gonna jump on Two friends sending a message. Do I think it was racist? I think it was rooted in the same structural racism that centralizes and focuses the white gaze and anything outside it has to assimilate. That's what I think. But where I get so furious, and it's the same thing, and we'll get on to talking about Naga, is you've got this board of 10 white people that are living in privilege, they will be just because of their wages and what their life experiences will be, trying to say that what this guy did is racist. You don't have the range to talk about it. Mm. They don't have the range to talk about it. And, and as I, I put it in the group, in the same way that us four shouldn't be kind of legislating on what's happening in the Kashmir region because we ain't got the range, or we shouldn't be talking about, uh, you know, legislating on LGBTQ issues because we don't have the range. Mm. You know, I would get somebody in. I might get an independent expert in, but you can't, you cannot. I'm not going to... 
The amount of energy that we spend putting individuals to the sword for racism, when here's the real truth, Liverpool just got fined £200,000 for fielding an eligible player. Millwall got fined £10,000 with their fans' racist chanting. That's the world that we live in. That is the importance and the priority that, that we should have over this. So uh, an entire club with a history of problematic fans chanting racism. And Millwall are well known yeah, for it. Yeah. We're going to say that, that, that um, Bernardo Silva's tweet is, is worse than that. Mm. You know, I'm, we, the FA board certainly doesn't have the ability to deal with it. Um, and society certainly doesn't have the ability to deal with it. You know, I would love to be able to say that I'm post-black, but whilst, you know, you can be killed in your own house for eating ice cream, mm. you know, that is not the case. I can't be post-black because black actually becomes a label of safety. It's kind of, if I get jumped, hemped up, I know there are going to be some people that have my back. So I've got to, black for me stands as a symbol of the work that we are not willing to do as a society to unpick all of the shit that's gone on. So if you're asking me, is this specific tweet racist? Possibly, mm. probably, but is it the most important thing to be talking about? Absolutely not. I think, like, I, I, I totally agree with you because when I saw the thing and everyone was erupted, I thought it was interesting. But I'm very like, and I use the term in the message. I've even bealed out on this sort of stuff. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I've just got, I've got nothing left of it because I've got nothing left. I've got nothing left. I've got nothing left. I've got nothing left. And I just think, like, this is like right. I think I'm at that point that you got to maybe I think six months ago when you got fed up about writing about race. It's just like, here we go again. Yeah, Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But I think specifically to this thing in football and in sport, because I think the sports industries are such a huge behemoth. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I feel so powerless about it and I feel like I can only do anything by talking about and trying to rationalise mm -hmm. what is going on. I don't know if you guys feel the same. I just think, oh, well, look at what's happening. Is there going to be any change? No, because yeah. these institutions have got too much money behind them and the people with the money behind these sorts of things do not want things to change. I think the way as well that they've approached it, the FA, is it's a case of rich, middle-aged to old white people making it look as though they're trying to stop mm. it. Because they're not, this doesn't mean anything, does it? Nothing. No. <laughs> look, just because you listen to UB40 in the 80s does not mean you have the range to talk about racial issues <laughs> so what, so you, <laughs> in the, like, 2010. Let's look at the figures. So £10,000 to mill Millwall for racial Sorry, And a 20, 20 times greater for Liverpool. What was it? 20, two million pounds? £200,000 for fielding an ineligible player. Right. So, like, I guess it's going to take the, a big sort of newspaper or someone to take that situation and shed light and say look at this comparison because I don't know if that sort of well, interest what they'll has say is been one of them to... was an EFL decision one was an FA decision right but but the point is still well hold on a second perhaps what we you know they'll let's look at UEFA well there was racism so we've um we've put a game behind closed doors you know and you can at least say well at least it's better in England than it is in Italy where like the yeah, fans of your own bad. team wow. would yeah. just would just light you up you miss a shot you black blah, blah. Yeah. but it's not long since that was the case in the, the UK I mean, one, one of the most iconic yeah. 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 I remember it's one of the most iconic right now, images it's, 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 it's growing up yeah, the black it's Saturday afternoon it's happening right now there is that iconic image um, of the black footballer playing in the old division one Picking up a banana and throwing it back into the crowd, 
You know, it's just this. And people want to talk about it like it was a million years ago. No, 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 no. no. There, are people, last year. there are people yeah. in their 40s <laughs> and 50s year. That, that remember that being the norm. Yeah. But again, it's a structural issue. Yeah. Again, call me a monkey, but pay me £200,000 a year yeah. or a day. Like, do you know what I mean? It's like, if we're not going to deal with the structural issue, we can't deal with individuals d- uh, tweeting because th- that is symptomatic of the structural problem. But do you think that takes away from the structural problem? The fact that, like you said, we're discussing now, everyone's like, oh, this incident happened with these guys and this incident happened there. So the FA will be used just to say that we've done something. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah okay, yeah. so what's your board yeah. looking like? Well, don't worry about the board. Yeah. He got, so he got banned for six. Look we sent we out a strong message. Look, we, find we sent out guys. a strong message. We, we have respect bans that we asked. We, we have kick it out bans. Funniest thing about the remember the, the blue anti-bullying ones? Here's, here's, this is the classic example. About 2005, 2006, there was these blue anti-bullying yeah, bands. And kids were getting jacked up in the playground for their bands. <laughs> <laughs> like you can't, you could not make it up. If you ever wanted a kind of metaphor for how inconsequential the kind of discussion on race is in uh, a, 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 in an environment like the FA, that is it right there. I think structure uh, and what you said about the structural board of the FA and is an interesting one to look at with the uh, Monchetti case as well. Is the time. God, people are going to be talking about that. I tell you. It's just, he's, I mean, he's, it's the president. And that, was the most, that, was the, that was the most telling quote for me last night. I can't remember who said it, but she said, I've been told to go home many times. Yes. To go back to where I've come yes. from many times in my life. Every time I've never I've been, been told by the man who's sitting in the Oval Office. Every, every, and every time I have been told, as a woman mm. of colour, to go home, go back to where I came from, that was embedded in racism. Now, I'm not accusing anyone of anything here, but there is, you know what certain phrases mean. Are you still told that? Do you, do you, get, yes. do you hear that quite yes. regularly? Yeah. Not regularly, but, you know, I've been told it. I know that you're, you're sitting here not giving an opinion, but how do you feel then, as somebody who's been told that before, when you hear that from... Furious. When you hear that from him? Absolutely furious. And I can imagine that lots of people in this country will be feeling absolutely furious that a man in that position feels it's OK to skirt the lines with using language like that. Does that then, do you feel that his use of that, because that's the point I was trying to make, then legitimises other people to use that? And, and as, yes. as our guest was saying yes. there, it's a, it's an, it feels like a thought-out strategy yeah, to strengthen his position. And it's not enough to do it just to get attention. He's, a, he's in a responsible position. Anyway, look, I'm not here to give my opinion. The lady gave her opinion. Now, everyone here in the room has probably heard, had it said to them or heard stories about it being said to people that we know. Go back to the country where you, go back to where you came from because even though we've been born here, it doesn't, it's still, England isn't naturally our rightful place, our rightful home. And right, rightful. rightful home. But like um, Dan Walker asked um, Munchetti how it made her feel and if she still experienced racism, she said yes. And she was like, any time that quote is said, go back to where you came from, it is embedded and rooted in racism, which is rightly so. And then someone made a complaint yeah, of course, uh, one, one complaint, complaint about Munchetti saying that, saying that the, she's breached BBC editorial guidelines by inflicting her own personal experiences of racism ag- against a racist quote, and that she shouldn't be able to sort of. The three letters was originally about Dan Walker, and the first two letters mentioned uh, Dan Walker and Naga uh, Munchetti, mm. and. And it was only in the third one, after what I felt was some prodding by the BBC, that they refined their complaint to mm. just yeah. the woman of yeah. colour. Like, Which like was I mad. Said, for me, this is this is outrageous. This 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 shouldn't be a topic. Hmm. There there shouldn't be uh, a board to discuss 
whether a presenter on a national kind of body, you know, media body, uh, is expressing personal political opinion when calling something out that is racist. Mm. It excuses racism. It, it, it verifies racism as a valid political point opinion. of view. No, 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 no. Let's not get, let's not get misconstrued with what racism is. Mm. It means that you don't think I should exist. So maybe I hold extreme views on this because I shouldn't exist in your eyes. But it's ridiculous. Why in the UK do people react more in outrage at being called a racist or being mentioned in something is racist than dealing with the racist themselves mm. or dealing with the racist racism themselves? It's just it's baffling. What is it? It's like it's calling a white person racist is like calling the black person the n-word that's what <laughs> that's that's how i see something and that's how me and my friends joke around like honestly it is yeah, i think right. so yeah, yeah. like the amount of times where i've called someone out for racism they, like you said the reaction they has been me. mad <laughs> it's been people kicking out, oh my god even if you know it's cl- it, cl- it clearly is <laughs> like and to be fair sometimes like if i'm feeling low i just need to pick me up i'll just be like well that's racist that isn't it and i just like, like and i just like to see people freak out a bit, I'll go home, took myself in bed, and be like, oh. you know, that ice cube was like, oh, today was a good day. Was just, that's what it's about for me. But I don't, I don't, I'm curious to think what you guys think about it. There's different terms for racist now, though, because I, no, I was, uh, my mum actually, she got me into, um, so on CNN, there's a host called Mehdi Hassan. And oh, he, big fan. He big goes fan. in, he goes in on the people that he interviews. And he was interviewing one of Trump's advisors, um, and one of the things that he said to him, his name was Stephen Moore was he was talking about the send them back, send her back uh, traps that he was coming out with a few weeks, months ago. Um, and he asked him, point blank, is this racist? And obviously Stephen Moore was saying, no, I don't, that, Trump's not a racist, I know mm. him, he's a good guy. The same thing over and over again. And Mehdi got him to the point where he said, well, what is it then? And he said, it's not racist, it's divisive. <laughs> <laughs> it's divisive, that's where we're at now. It's divisive. It's divisive. And what Trump needs to do is spend more time on trying to bring the nation together rather than being divisive. So divisive is a new term for racism. Oh, okay. Um, I don't know, I'm trying to think, I'm, I can't process that. I'm, so I'm trying to, like, it's ticking around in my head. I'm just like, how do you get there? That's, <laughs> where we're at. This is, that's 2019 for you, man. Yeah. This is where we're at now. Yeah, this is, and this and people are saying where this... All these liberals are snowflakes and stuff. How can you sort of there is there is nobody that will melt down more than a, a white person that is accused of racism? Mm. It's the most delicious thing ever. It's like, <laughs> look, can you pick yourself up off the puddle that you've fallen into? Like, just I've called you a racist because you're racist. Mm. Uh, how are you to call me a racist? Who are you to call me the N word? <laughs> <laughs> um, but I just want to kind of move it ever so slightly and. Because I, the bit that uh, this story that I want to talk about is the fact that uh, is it David Jordan went out with his whole chest onto TV to defend it and said that the reason that Dan Walker wasn't censured was because the complaint was about Naga Manchetti. Rude boy was lying. <laughs> Rude boy was lying, and uh, it's uh, this is a prepared statement. It's a rare, instructive example of the ways in which institutions use the facade of objective processes and procedures as a mask for subjective prejudice. Mm. So this idea that, well, our hands were tied. No, they weren't. This guy said that these two presenters were um, uh, were biased. They had expressed an opinion. Is this what I'm paying my money for? You sent a letter back saying, can you be more specific? And he, again, <laughs> in the second letter, when, oh, I'm, I'm assuming it's a he. 
I'm assuming it's a he. Um, Come on. Uh, uh, he, in the second letter, uh, said the same thing. Again, called them both out. And again, the BBC asked for more clarification. And then in the third one, he was like, it was now. And they were like, right, we're on it. We're on it. The, he, I'm trying really hard not to call him like some Jamaican words. <laughs> but he was lying. But the, the important thing is that this is how we get to the... Once we choose to action it, there's nothing we could have done. My hands were tied. It's like, well, hold on a second. You've helped to create this environment. And I get it. Like, look, I get it. It's kind of, it goes back to that idea. As a society, we're not willing to do the hard work of addressing uh, racism. And so we have to, we can only fight these small battles because nobody wants to talk about reparations. Nobody wants to talk about official apologies. And when people do, they're accused of being liberal snowflakes. But there is no denying, you know, we talk about in schools the role that uh, Wilberforce had in ending slavery, but as if the Britain like, well, look, we, we helped to end it. Motherfuckers, you, you were the ones that helped to start it. You don't understand. So I'm reading um, Black and British by David. Yeah, David, David, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's amazing because the, the, the slaving companies, you know, that were, that ran so successfully for hundreds of years were set up by not just any kind of British citizens, Royalty. The royalty. royalty. And, yeah. you know, there's... Uh, for me, it's just... Yeah, it's... This is tiresome now, once again. This idea that, you know, we have seen a woman of colour be held to a higher standard, higher scrutiny and higher consequence than her colleague. Mm-hmm. And once again, I, I am not qualified to speak on this because I have not maybe experienced that. You know, as a black male and as a mixed-race male, I definitely don't face that level of, of, mm. of, of prejudice in certain environments. I can kind of, you know, almost get a pass in certain ones. Mm. But for me, it's just how many times has this happened and will continue to happen? And Kofi, I, 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 I want to bring you directly into this because you've talked about, you, you literally framed this by starting by saying, I've got to be careful what I say because I've got to be in posh because I'm BBC. <laughs> don't, don't you... Um, this whole episode <laughs> highlights the danger of any kind of institution setting itself up as impartial. Yeah. Because you can't be... How does impartiality work when you've got a diverse group of people with a diverse set of experiences? That can't talk about it. That, that, that then, and because it's like... And who isn't allowed to talk about it? You know, Jeremy Clarkson said some wild stuff when he worked for the yeah. BBC, mm. which was, you know, definitely not impartial. He wasn't censured. So again, is this about is this about the white male gaze? Well, I'm just asking. G A Z E. I'm not catching no E. I'm not catching no E. Footnote. <laughs> I like that. Uh, <laughs> we can scratch that for the record. Um, I don't. I don't know. And I. I don't. I was hoping it wasn't a thing about control in terms of like, okay, well, if you've got some issues going on in your workplace and, you know, I know there's a big push on diversity. Well, the main word now is inclusion because it's not just about race anymore. It's about class. It's about gender, uh, identity, all sorts of stuff. And I just thought it's like if that, if people like Afro Hurchison didn't get together and write that letter and if the reaction to this situation wasn't so strong, particularly from the black and brown community, I think black and brown women, but and women, mm-hmm. yeah. So she she rallied. You know, that's always. what I thought. Penned by Afio Hertz and everybody else got on board with it. I did. I I was literally thinking, damn, if we didn't fight back first or we didn't fight back well, 
this would have trickled down into the workplace by saying, well, if someone who presenting on BBC Breakfast cannot speak about her personal experience, how can someone like me who is working in this particular area of the BBC, how have I got a chance? Mm-hmm. But it, but now, because looking at the reaction, I know June Saopong is being um, uh, appointed as um, a... Di- uh, di- Director of diversity, director of creative diversity. Yeah. However, this this role was advertised back in March and May. This wasn't a knee jerk reaction. Yeah, what some yeah. people think. It's like it just shows you how much I don't want to say power, but how much how much of a voice we have, and we have the ability, and we have the right to be able to say, look, no, this is wrong. This is my experience. This is something that you guys don't know about. This is something that you guys haven't lived. So let me. Talk about. Let me express. Except she it. didn't do that. Pardon. Dan Walker led. Asked her what her opinion was on it. It mm. wasn't like she offered it up unsolicited. Yeah. I'm her talking about the reaction. I'm talking about the. the but, the, but this the is this is what back. worries me is that because how because you're in the job of you know as a radio host as a, a multimedia host your whole thing is about kind of generating content and you know being keeping it being truthful. What is she supposed to do in that situation under the guidelines? Well, Dan, you've asked me for my opinion, but as a BBC employee, I'm not allowed to give it. So even though we can acknowledge that it might be racially tinged or infused or scented (laughs) or divisive, um, I can't talk about the impact that that has on me. I struggle to see how she's done. I struggle to see how she's said anything wrong. And this is this, this is why I thought, what is she? What is the problem here? When the letter came through, I, I, I thought, am I dumb? Am I just not seeing it? But you know well, what I mean? Because we, it's, we should have the right to be able to pass comment on something that we think and call out is racist. To be told you're not allowed to say it's ra- a racist thing is racist is like, what? Do you know what I mean? It's like saying two and two doesn't make four. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that's, that's, once again, for me, just what's so bonkers. Like, racism is not an acceptable point of view. Yeah. Like, it's not. Okay, and if if it is in your world, then you are racist. If you think it's okay that this happened, because racism manifests in ways which are not as clear cut as you know a tweet of a of a racist trope as we kind of got into. It's complex. It's nuanced. It's it's insidious. So why would we, you know, for me, why would we not call this out? This is something which negatively affects not just black and brown people, but everyone, mm. because it's limiting. It's limiting what we're capable of as a, as a diverse group of people if only certain opinions hold weight, well, only certain kind of stories are heard. At the same time, if you somehow manage to eradicate racism in the United Kingdom, in the USA... <laughs> you say that with a smile on your face. Society just falls down. <laughs> <laughs> it falls down. And that's what they're scared of. If we start to actually combat racism, if we start to combat institutionalised racism, then that time at the top's over. Mm. And that's, that's that control. Mm. You don't want to relinquish that control. I can understand it from their perspective. And that is what scares them. It's like, shit, things are changing now. Mm. And if you can still... I mean, half of the stuff that goes on when people are raising the raising awareness of racism within the media, within sports, it's terrifying certain people because it's like, well, the world as we know it is soon to be over mm. because they're coming for us now, which is why I'm going to keep singing it from the rooftops because if it makes life for my child a little bit better, then brilliant. Nice. But it's coming. I like it's it. It's coming. Thought experiment. Um, ask, and I, li- I love asking these two questions. Do you admit that racism exists? You'll, yes, yes. Have you ever met a racist? Have you ever met somebody that would say, yeah, I'm a racist. I just, look, I don't know black people. Like, the Indians, <laughs> they bother me. Have you ever, genuinely, have you ever met somebody that would admit to being racist? Yeah. And 
and yet, because I, I haven't, I've never, I've, I've never met somebody that's like would say I'm a racist. But we all, we all understand that racism exists. So mm. that for me is a good way of understanding, like kind of breaking down the cognitive dissonance that exists. Well, is to say, hold on. Well, yeah. one of these, how if we've never met any, if we know that racism exists. Where are the racists? Yeah. I'm not a racist. I just don't find black women attractive. That's no. it. Uh, Donald racist, Trump is the least racist person you've ever met. He's a good man. That's what he says. He says, yeah. I am the least racist but person you've ever met. If he says it, it's true. It, yeah, that's how but, the world works nowadays. But, you know, on the, on the other side of that, it's just, it's outrageous to think that if you have to make a statement, largely with any, any subject, saying you're not it, then, <laughs> then you're probably <laughs> it. Oh, I don't know. You know... Uh, in you know, in the br- know, but yeah. if you're saying you're not racist, well, you probably did or said or have been or are continue like, to be a racist. Do you know what I mean? I was going to say Liam Neeson. Well, uh, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to see your reaction. I just wanted to see your reaction to that. Uh, what, off the back of all this and also the David, uh, the Bernardo Silver and Benjamin Mendy thing mm. as well. Have we, have we seen the rise of a global racial superstar in in John Barnes as well? Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> the so. amount of people that I've seen. John Barnes, he knows well, what he's talking honestly, about. That I was watching the I was watching the talk sport um conversation Sorry, I had no. with Hugh Wozencroft. And after when you said, Oh, we need to watch John Barnes as well, I was like, what what's he done now? Did I mean like and I went and watched the chat, the talk, and I looked at all the comments from people that were like, "Oh, John Barnes, he's forward thinking. <laughs> oh, John Barnes, he knows how to move. He doesn't hold grudges." And I was looking at all the profiles, all white men, <laughs> all white men applauding John Barnes, and he was just like, well, he, "Who is he, who is John Barnes speaking to? I'm not coming for John Barnes and stuff like that." And he's entitled to his point of view, and the whole thing. His conversation with Hugh was quite interesting because he was seeing himself, and he was. He was referring to his light skin privilege mm. um, a lot in this situation about the um, Mendy um, Silver situation, and I ju- I'm just curious. And Angela said this in the count. How come he is our go-to guy for uh, what, what was the term you're using for thought thought thinkers thought for, thought, for thought leaders? Why? And you said a car. We said a Carla. I was like, why isn't Afua Hirsch there? Why are you guys there? Because I was like, you guys would have been able to come up with a more. Well, and it's, a logical argument. Yeah, but it's it's the same thing again, isn't it? It's it's like oh, yep, yeah, we need to get a black voice to kind of say some stuff, but not too not too you know sharp. Mm. We'll give you know just enough you know make the people happy. Oh, John Barnes, yeah, he's oh he's a black lad. He's a, he played through racism. Oh, yeah, he's uh, oh he's forgiving now, is he? And making some really outlandish apologetic statements. Oh, well, that kind of makes me feel all right with you mm. know going down the pub on a Saturday afternoon, getting full of pints and. Uh, Calling out John by a nigger. Like, yeah, it's fine. Like, are you kidding me? Like, are you kidding me? Like, I'm That's what, for me, like, that's the dangers of what his only voicing his opinions does. I would be. He's and it's entitled an opinion. to it. It's, it's an, an opinion. opinion. It's not, it's not gospel. Yeah. Yeah. He's not, you know, see that. Like, did you vote? In the uh, in the last you know all black leaders election you know John Barnes is our is our spokesperson no as well. but can we stop like, <laughs> it's like exactly that like yes these are successful black people yes they have dealt with racism but are they qualified to speak about such a, a complex topic about you know structural racism within let's let's not lie it's not about football it's about society mm. there is people that devote their lives to this. Mm. 
Let them speak. And I think a lot of this comes from the way our TV news and stuff is structured. There are very few opportunities for um, people of colour, other communities to come out and speak about something. Usually when the story's dropped, this is it. Let's get one person to talk about it. Let's move on. It's never really, let's get a, like a, a, a selection of voices to say what's going on. And we, I think a lot of people have been conditioned to be like, all right, whoever they select is our... He's it's our madness. totem leader. It's mad. What really, really annoyed me, and you said I'm not sending for John Barnes, I'm sending for him. And as well... I'm sorry, Mr Barnes, this is my... I'm not sorry. I'll tell I'm you what, related to me as well. On call. On call. I'm sending for you. I mean, how dare you go on national television, have an interview, and say that someone like Jaden Sancho hasn't experienced proper racism and needs to just get on with proper it. Racism. Proper racism. What, what is, is that racism? about? Is That's respectful? so unbelievably offensive. Everyone's situation, everyone's experience with race and racism is so different. So for you to then belittle my experience or Jaden Sancho, who's a young boy coming up into a very difficult world, mm. That's just bang out of order. It's bang out of order. And those kind of voices, man, I think he needs to be educated as much as your Bernardo Silvers need to be educated. I, yeah. Do you think, like, 2019, we live in an age, and Angela's about to pop, so I'm going to keep this short. Do you think we live in an age where racism is now quantifiable? Because every, I remember when all the things, like, with the, um, Eric, like, with the deaths of people like Eric Gardner and all these un, un, unfortunate, unlawful killings in the States, I remember people here in the UK being like, oh, well, it's not as it's not as bad here in England. You know, people are getting shot. There's now like this I prefer scale. US racism. No, but there's another. I say, no, I, know, I say that all the time. People think you're mad. I would rather know who's a racist because yeah. people. Someone could just come out and say it. I'd be happy with it rather than here. It's very subtle. It's very underlying. You might be playing in someone's hands who wants to help you out in your career, job, a bank, or something, make you feel secure. But then, no, nah, they they don't want you to succeed at all. They don't want they don't want to give you any help. Well, it's interesting you say like, for me. Racism in Britain has been quantifiable for hundreds of years. Hmm. It's 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 not something that is just oh, like God. it's not something that's just come out. And I'm I'm looking over at Angelo because you know he's the encyclopedia. I'm sure of, 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 he could break down exactly how it all started mm. and, and where it came from. And, and you know we'll save that for a historical theme podcast. But um, it's just this idea that like Britain has ever been a truly post-racial society. It's been a multicultural society mm. for thousands of years. You know, since but we're called the Anglo-Saxons. Yeah. Saxony is in France. For France. <laughs> what the what the blood? Yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you, when the, wow, Anglo-Saxon Saxony is in France. <laughs> what in Russia time world? What is going on? What is going on? <laughs> where's Saxo again? Just one more time. For the listeners, can you just tell them where Saxo is again? Obviously. Saxony is in France. When they talk about the Angles and the Saxons, the Saxons came from Saxony. I'm Jimmy Kerr, what about the Angles? Are they... Uh, I don't know. I just I just saw that bit and was like... <laughs> you know what? No, because I'm it, Jimmy Kerr, it's, it's like... interesting. The, 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 the Queen's husband is Greek and she is German. What the <laughs> fuck are we talking about with British? What are we talking about? John Barnes needs to consider falling all the way back. He needs to consider just sitting down and just holding his drink and sipping it every now and then. What is going on? But this is the issue. This is the issue. Because we have to talk about individual things because we don't have the capacity as a society to talk about the structural things. Let's move on to something happier, like Amber Guy. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, like, well, Nate, you said, like, John Barnes coming out here and forgiving people. And this Amber Geiger case, so yeah. was it last year? She was a police officer. She'd been doing a 14-hour shift. She came home into her apartment block and went into a, 
uh, a flat which she thought was hers. Directly above, yeah. And then she saw... In inverted commas, please. That she thought she was hers. Allegedly thought she was And then she walked in to see a young man sat there eating ice cream and unlawfully killed and she drew his gun and killed him. Once again. Murdered. Murdered. Murdered him. Executed. Executed. And in this, out of this whole situation, she's been given 10 years in jail. Five, really. Well, she'll say one. Eligible for parole. Eligible for parole. And also, oh, thank you. Um, Which is going to piss off a lot more of these right wing people who are listening. (laughs) (laughs) Get the blood right out of me now. (laughs) Start bleeding themselves, leeches and shit. But uh, yeah, so. She's recently been sentenced, like we said, she had 10 years, probably going to say five. And during the court case, during the sentencing, there was a lot of forgiveness that was given, like the brother of the um, of the victim gave her a hug. And also the judge who did the sentencing gave her a Bible and hugged her and said, you know, you know, whatever you've done, what you did in that moment was a terrible thing. But what happens now when you move on? And Nate, when you said forgiveness, that just sparked off a lot in my mind because in these situations, yes, you want to be absolved of hate and rage and frustration for the person that has caused you these feelings. But hugging and forgiveness, is that where we're at now when there's unlawful murderings of black men? How did we get here? This is, once again, this is absolutely mental for me. So, you know, a white female off duty cop after 16 hour, uh, 14 hour shift. Now I've done 16 hour shifts and I've lived in an apartment block where every corridor looks the same. Now, I'm not saying my bar shifts, you know, at House of Smith, were as intense as a, an American police woman's shift. But I have never, ever, like, gone in the wrong flat. I've mistakenly gone to the wrong floor and recognised and gone back. So for me, let's drop that out. How do you get into the wrong flat? Well, first of all, and in America, are you leaving your doors open? No, you're not. Yeah. So this did, is... Did they say it was slightly open or something? No. They I, said the door... I've had so many that. variations but of what... It's mental that, an, you know, an innocent man has been murdered... But for me, it's with 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 Amber Geiger, the, the cop. It's like, why, when you look at a black man eating ice cream on a couch watching TV, do you feel like your life is threatened? <laughs> what world do you operate in? Do you live in? And I think this is. And then you kind of, you know, I read a bit more about the story because I didn't really know much about this. I, don't, no. I, I kind of dropped out these American stories because mm. they're too frequent. They're just wild, man. Like it's crazy. But so she. Walked in, mistakenly thought her life was under threat because he was, you know, he was eating ice cream on his couch, unloaded two shots and killed him. Why do you see a black person and and that incite such fear? Then you get then the plot thickens as it always does. She'd shared racist text messages with a partner, and I say partner in every sense in the cop, in in the bedroom, whatever else. Now this is is wild. Like so, she is clearly holds and expresses uh, a lot of disdain for for black people she said you know oh i'm not racist but there's something about black people you know they just work different okay it's just it's just ridiculous i just can't get my head around any of this and the worst bit for me is is this i don't know this idea of forgiveness Uh, yes you're right you're so right we should be we should not want to be full of hate. We should, you know, for the victims and the, and, and the victims' family, mm. they want to obviously move past this and, and, and forgiveness is a way of them doing that. But this idea that it's been lauded around the media as this great moment for America mm. is flat out ridiculous. It sets the completely wrong precedent by saying, you kill a black person, it's all right, you're forgiven. Can we keep that same energy 
that level of compassion when the person that's the perp is not a crying white woman. Mm. Please, please can we do that? Because when a black person gets sentenced in court, a lot of the time, you're supposed to be in court. You're supposed to be mm. in jail. So there is none of that compassion because you are doing exactly what society expects of you. When it's a crying white woman and it's been a high-profile case, it's completely different. Mm. It's completely different. And I want us to keep that same energy. If we're going to do that for white women, then let's, let's do that for black brothers as well. Yeah, yeah. That's what I want. It was, it was just weird because when you mentioned it, can we talk about this? I um, Again, like Nate, I didn't know what was going on. And I looked at it and I just felt, again, Ian Beald, oh my God, it's happening. <laughs> if this is happening again, black people are being shot. We're forgiving, uh, we're for, we're forgiving the, 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 the murderers and... Yeah, we're moving on as a new cycle, and it's just like when. I, and then when you start delving into the circumstances, you just think, how we? You know what I mean? You just. You, I don't. I don't know. Are you guys experiencing this sort of exhaustion in trying to make sense out of things. This exhaustion well, in trying to think like, why is it this way? This exhaustion nah. thinking, what can we do? What can we do? Can we do anything to make there's, these things a little bit better? There's absolutely nothing to make sense of. <laughs> this woman walked into the wrong flat and killed a man. It is that simple. The punishment should reflect that. I don't care for context. This an innocent man lost his life because of fatigue. I'm not having it. Mm. Do you know, do you just, know what the, um, the the first issue with the trial was? So I was reading this either this morning or yesterday that they allowed the defence of the castle doctrine. I think that's what it's called. The stand your ground. The what? Yeah, sorry. Oh, the castle doctrine, yeah. where you're allowed to stand your ground. So within that, oh, really? if you're in your own home and you feel threatened, you can do Wait, whatever you want what did effectively. You say? In your in, exactly. Exactly. So how is she allowed to have this defence when she's not in her own home? She was allowed to plead with the defence that she was standing her ground in her own home and protecting her own property. How did they get around that? Exactly, that's the first issue, because if she wasn't allowed to to stand with that plea, then she's not getting five years. Then she's gone and executed someone. But they have have the death penalty. I looked at it yesterday when when you mentioned it. it? Yeah, yeah, Texas has um, capital punishment. They have the death penalty. I was like, she should be getting the Exactly, but because she was standing her ground in what she thought was her flat, I mean, where does that end? I think I live in here. Can I shoot you up, man? That, that's the kind of ridiculousness that we've got with this this case. Honestly, I'm exasperated by it because there's so much throughout the process with the murder itself, throughout the court case, the judgment, the tears, the hugs in court. There's so much that's just made my head explode. It's ridiculous. And I didn't know about that um, that uh, part of the defence. And I, fa- I think the what you were saying before, what you guys were talking before, the hugs have dominated this story. I was literally, it's the hugs head around the world. That's all people want to know about. That's all people are commenting about. I'm just thinking, look, there's so much more to this. There's so much more level. But no, the story is done now. People aren't going to want to know anything past the hooks because they like how this story has turned out. Black Wait, person gets shot. Pe- yeah, yeah. <laughs> people are being hugged. And that's enough. That's enough. Let's move on to the next. When we when we encounter a, a story like this, which is probably going to be about, I don't know, any time between now and when's Black Friday. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Maybe one you know day before Halloween. Maybe, 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 fingers crossed we go Halloween without a, a killing. But like, it's going to happen again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We say Tig is in the room, by the yeah. way, everyone. He's so, coming to do some <laughs> some media stuff for us. Thank you very much. He's, yeah, come grab a yeah. mic. But here he is. I think, sitting down watching you guys talk, the core of the problem that we need to address is the, com- the commercialization of solutions. For, as a society, for us to move forward, we need to dump the idea that somebody needs to be making money from 
problems that they solve. Mm -hmm. That's the first step that we need to take as a society. The racism issue, like that, that's a home run right there. People don't want to lose power. People don't want to lose money because they don't want to lose money. Nobody wants to address it. The situation with the cop that you're talking about, that is more societal than anything in the sense that we have, we, we've basically finessed ourselves as, as a race, right? You're talking earlier on, talking about racism and the fact that it's now a divisive issue and it can't be called racism anymore. We have finessed ourselves so much that lawyers and everybody's now taking advantage of that, that they can spin laws that are written basically in legalese. If you're not a lawyer, you don't understand it, to the point that they can make an argument that she was standing the ground in an apartment that wasn't hers, that belongs to someone else. And a jury gets to believe that. The flip side of that is, have we become so stupid as a society that you can make that argument that someone, doesn't matter how long the shift, I mean, I've worked in bars like Nate, I've had other jobs in restaurants whereby you're working long hours, that you go into a block of flats, go into a flat that's not yours, you see someone that is not someone you recognise. You can shoot that person and then make the argument, oh, I thought I was in my place, so I shot him because I, 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 I thought he'd, he'd broken in. And in what world is someone going to break into your house, turn on your TV, <laughs> get into their boxes, go into your freezer, pull out ice cream, plant themselves there, hear you come into the house and not run away? It's like, maybe this skews towards being a little bit racist, but as a black man in America, for him to hear someone come into a house that's his or not his and still be sat down eating ice cream, it doesn't add up. Mm. Unless you are the up. bravest soul, got the biggest balls, or you're just crazy, you just you just won't be there. You just won't be doing it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's, it is. If it, it sounds like Willy Wonka, it, it sounds like Pulp Fiction. Yeah, it does, isn't it? Like, like it, it, it can only I'm be expecting. Yeah, Quentin to to roll it out. You Honestly, know? it's like you know, there's that sketch in Family Guy. Uh, is it South Park about how Family Guy creates? And episodes, they have a ball pool of random things and manatees poke one of them at the top. <laughs> it's just random stuff linked together. That's what it sounds like because it's it doesn't sound like real life, but the real you know, real life is is it's mad, it's cool, it's it's not random. It's people people's intentions and people's like <coughs> people's prejudice that allow to mm. people's prejudice allow to flourish now well, in, this in is, 2019. This is you know, so much led to to her obviously being in that room doing what she's done and whatever else but Tegi you've hit the head like the nail on the head it's societal you know it's she's a cop she's been conditioned to view you know people in certain ways she experiences people in certain ways then never mind the fact that every everyone has a gun you know everyone has a gun everyone has several guns there's more guns than people. This is outrageous for me. Every time I get into this topic, That's my mad. brain wants that to explode so because I'm like, how can we be in the 21st century and it deemed What's a good idea that there's more guns than people? What's America's population? 600 million? That's about 300 million. Is it? Yeah. Right, okay. <laughs> it's something like, wasn't it two and a half guns per person? Yeah. Like, two and a half. <laughs> it's half a Glock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you and a half got shut off. No, <laughs> it's just, like, I can't fathom it. So, um, Angela, please, because you, you wanted to talk about this and you've been quite quiet. So first of all, I need to make an apology in my um, passion for the last topic. I confused the Huguenots with the Saxons. There's always going to be one <laughs> history major. The Huguenots were the French, the Saxons and Angles were German. But we come from French-German people with a Greek prince and, and, a, and a German 
queen of the dark light kind of black princess. Okay, so this is my controversial <laughs> thing about um, Amber Geiger. Um, the centering of cisgendered, heterosexual, white women's pain has to stop. It just has to stop. Can we agree that had both from John uh, walked into her house, murdered her, he would not have been hugged by a white judge. Mm -hmm. His tears would not have been the narrative, that his face would have been seen exponentially more than hers in the, uh, in the trial and the lead up and what happened afterwards, that jurors wouldn't have spoken about how difficult it was. Minorities too often are burdened with the responsibility of moderation. If minorities don't close the racial gap, it will never heal. So we get stuff like, well, Dave Chappelle isn't offensive. The trans community need to learn to take a joke. Or you get kind of, no, I was just, you know, I, I'd use a Chappelle one deliberately because it's like, yeah, we're black guys in a box, but let's be honest, like, he, he, he was punching down to a minority community and we know all the jokes. We talked about the jokes that we had to deal with on the rugby pitch. I'm reminded of the Baldwin quote that he used in the 60s, uh, to be a Negro in this country and to be relatively conscious is to be in a rage almost all the time. The problem though is that our rage has to be silent or internal, otherwise it's used as a cudgel to kill us. Um, and that's the biggest issue, isn't it, is that I'm not even allowed to be too mad about this in public because then I fall into the same stereotypes that would then be used to kill me later. Mm -hmm. That's what's happening. And that's, and, and, and I'll bring it back to what I said that we too often center cisgendered heterosexual white women's pain above everything. The, the, the image of a white woman crying or a white woman's pain is too often the most important thing. Mm. And, it, and, it, and it pervades far too much of our society. Have any of you guys been on the um, <clears throat> receiving end of white tears? Oh God, yeah. Um, and like I was, I was joking about this with my sister um, when we was coming back from Ghana. I was like, oh, would it would be cool to sort of put this in like a D and D game or something. Like you activate white women's tears. <laughs> and, uh, anyone with and anyone with melanin is is immediately dead or or is sent to jail. And we were in hysterics because like, we were trying to sort of weaponize or make light of the things that happen towards us as black people and it's when I've tried to explain this very thing to people it's like well I don't, people don't get it people don't understand and I think this is a perfect example if you want to show people like, oh well you know you're making things up I don't understand just show them this story this well, exact well, look, situation look at when this story first came out when the murder first happened one of the first things that was reported on was the fact that he had, I think it was a past offence with drugs or something. Right. What the fuck does that have to do with this woman coming into his apartment and executing him? Who gives a shit? Mm. That's nothing. If it was the other way around, again, they're not going to be talking about the fact that she's had a disciplinary on this or she's got a, a murky history with this. That's not, that's not relevant. But when it's a black person, you always have to dig up some dirt. Mm. And, and that's nah. it's almost that extra justification that not mm. only are they black but they did the type oh, of stuff that yeah. black he people do he was a you bad guy he was a bad guy he did drugs 10 years ago and it's and, fuck your mother and it's just it's how the media works though, isn't it it's how the media plays into that narrative that people expect from us people want to hear from us Tege you want to hit the mic uh, it, co it comes down to controlling the narrative doesn't it mm -hmm. it comes down to controlling the narrative and if if you control the narrative now and you've always controlled the narrative then you've got like historical resources to fall back to yeah like all in my opinion anyway 
all anybody's doing right now is they're basically reading scripts from a playbook that someone else wrote before them. Mm-hmm. Right? Nobody has the courage to say, right, let's try something new. Yeah. Um, and the flip side, we as a people, we're talking about culture, we as a people, we cave far too easily. We're talking earlier about like 15 people at a house party dropping the N-bombs mm-hmm. left, right and center. If we don't accept that as as a people saying, nah, don't use that in your songs, then those guys can't sit there and, and then drop the N-bombs. Mm-hmm. Then we don't have to walk around and educate people going, no, that's not cool. But because we do it, we subconsciously give them permission to do it. Mm-hmm. I Find think on, sorry, just on narrative, I just want to mention two tweets that came out. One from CNN one from Russia today about how narratives then become history. Um, And this was just after it happened. The CNN one read, an off-duty Dallas police officer mistakenly walked into an apartment she thought was her own and shot a man dead Thursday night, police say. The the, the RT one said, cop shoots and kills innocent man in his apartment, then puts thought apartment was hers. The pro- Russia Today is completely discredited as a news source, but that's a more accurate yeah. headline. Yeah. You're repeating the murderer's words as as, as, as facts. Mm-hmm. And, and what you're saying there about that, that's how you control the narrative straight away. So I think that's a really powerful so point. C- CNN just couldn't come out and tell the story how it is. Of course not. And how, how I'm curious to how we were, I say we, how British media has reported this story, if at all, because I haven't seen it anywhere Really, in the, the UK, the BBC tends to skew more towards the main news sources in America. Right, UK media, not just BBC, not mm. to call them out. They tend to skew towards what has traction. It, it's almost like playing to playing to, to to the hive mind. As individuals, we will all say, "Yeah, we're not easy to, easy to control." Mm. But when we're herded up into like a group, it's so easy to control. We've yeah. got we've got things like. The media, for one, that's so powerful. You've got social media, you've got things like Chinese whispers. If you don't know what that is, that's whenever you hear something and you repeat it to someone mm. else, but you put your own skew on it. So with all of that stuff going on, it becomes really difficult to discern what's the truth. Yeah. Um, when it becomes difficult to discern what's the truth, then you get people opting out of conversations that they need to have, being like, I don't know what happened. Like we can say, everyone in here, look, it's got black guys in the box. We can say, because we have that experience, and we can say, how can you work so long that you get your houses confused? No matter how the same they look, there's going to be some tell that you Mm -hmm. know that you're not in the Mm -hmm. right place. But there's going to be someone out there that hasn't got that experience, that hasn't worked 16 hours, Mm -hmm. that doesn't know how tired that person can be. So Mm -hmm. the story to them is believable. Mm -hmm. It's just plain to to what people know. Mm -hmm. Just before you stepped in there, I I was about to say that as a people, we need to take responsibility for what we do. We need to take responsibility for what we accept. And we need to know that in taking responsibility, we're making a choice that's going to be difficult. And we can't make a choice and at the first sign of trouble, at the first hurdle, throw the towel in. Yeah. Too many times that's happened like in history. Too many times that's happened recently. Mm. Uh, you get people marching. The, at at some point, you have to get tired of marching. Something needs to happen. People are waiting. I don't know. I can't say, but my opinion of this is people are waiting for permission to do what needs to be done. When to effect change, it takes one person or a group of people individually standing up and saying, okay, we're not going to stand for this anymore. I think it was either Nelson Mandela or MLK said there's no more righteousness 
and an ineffective weapon. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's got to a stage now where we're going to have to make very difficult decisions. We're going to have to be uncomfortable. We're going to have to make other people feel uncomfortable. Otherwise, nothing's going to change. And I think when you said traction was interesting because, like, <coughs> that, again, is applying to a metric rather than actually looking at the truth or the actual validity yeah, that's, of the that's, story. That's all, that's all it is now, that, isn't it? That's, that's yeah. The truth that, is gone, isn't we, it? We talk about clickbait and everything. That's mm. all media is. It's become about... Basically, the numbers on the surface, numbers on the surface, likes, hearts, emojis of smiley faces, angry faces. That's what the news has come down to. Saying that, and I knowing what a few of my, I'd say, peers and friends who have gone up to start up their own media conglomerates, pages, or whatever, that are starting to get traction because they are telling that truthful side, which is now the other side of news stories or what it, what of or offering different points of view, like I'd say we might be in that group as well. Mm-hmm. Of saying, look, this is what has happened and this is what people aren't telling you. And people wanna people want to know this sort of stuff. I think we'll be we we'll get you'll be surprised at how much people are looking for alternate views, perspectives on the world and news around them. And if we can contribute to that sound space a little bit by every episode we put out, every tweet or whatever, and I think we're doing a, I think we're contributing in, in our small way. I, 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 that's what I feel anyways. Yeah. So. I think, I think the, the key is balance, hmm. right? The key is balance. You have a sliding scale that's been invented by a group of people that want to control others. And they sell that scale to you to the point whereby you label yourself as something. Mm. Like, you're either far right or you're far left. Mm. Like, where the hell does that make sense? There's no <laughs> way like, that you're doing something so that binary. you're completely like... I think it was it was either... I think it was Chris Rock that said it. It's like there's some things that you're a Democrat about and there's some things that you're conservative about. Mm. No one is ever just one thing. Mm. But the way the system has been set up is that you have to be that one thing and the minute you're not that one thing the thing that you are not starts attacking you yeah, yeah, and yeah. That, mm-hmm. that's that in my opinion that's primarily where the problem lies yeah. we'll have to do, do a discussion on identity politics one time and doing away with them and stuff yeah, yeah. we'll have to bring that in yeah, nah, yeah. Man. take it have to come join us definitely, <laughs> definitely. Um, wow I think that was I can't believe the time's gone by I forget how quickly yeah. it goes and how much we can we can jabber on everything valid everything <laughs> interesting everything fun um, I think we're, we're going to move on to our songs we would X to does anyone always suggest a theme do you have one in mind did you have one preset or um, I did not okay no, I thought I thought we had one in the group um, just off the top of my head based on the conversations we've had um, songs ne- we'd warm up to songs we'd warm up to before again what songs to get you pumped and motivated before like going out to, for sports, when I played basketball for North Umbria, I used to listen to uh, B Boys, okay, by DJ Khaled with uh, Kendrick Lamar, Ace Hood, um, loads of features on it. It's just lavish American hip hop, high volume, you know. And uh, Kendrick, great, just an incredible verse. I used to warm up to Method Man, Red Man, Arm. And, and people people would get back. <laughs> people would get back. I was going to, but we roam. Cellular phones, that meth. Back in the flesh, blood and bones. Don't condone. Spin bank loans and homegrown. Suckers break like turbo. I was 
I'm big on the complete opposite to you guys because for me, I needed to come down before I played. Oh, right. Because okay. I was already too hyped, so I'd have my headphones on in the warm up. I've been listening to some like either some like Neo Soul. What's the what's the Apex Twin called? Uh, the track that Avril, was Avril, Avril 14. 14. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that is the kind Jeez, of. Jeez, really? Before you go Genu- Genuinely, because I, I don't need to be too pumped up because I'm going to lose my head in the first quarter. Okay. So I need to get myself down and then I'm ready to go. Man's a bit weird. I would listen to. I think I used to listen to "Make Yourself" by Incubus quite a lot. But I also had like the the original Dragon Ball Z theme <laughs> I used to play with this Goku T-shirt underneath my like my rugby jersey all the time. Like, you know, remember the one? Dragon, Dragon, rock the Dragon, Dragon Ball Z. I so sick. <laughs> I used to be there like, yeah, gonna get Super Saiyan. Something, oh, but. I was like, don't do this to me, don't do this to me, but... Yeah, that was it. Are we going to put that on a playlist? After we find it. It'll be on Spotify. Mate, it's awesome. <laughs> Mate, the guitar licks in that are absolutely sick. Um, but, um, Tiger, how about you? What did you listen to before NFL? Uh, a bit like dumb. I need to chill out, so it's mostly just RME and so. Yeah. Cool. I like that. I never thought of like cooling down before going into a game, but that's interesting. It's about operating from your center, I think. Yeah. Mm. It's like if I go in just far too hype, especially in a game like American football, I'm either going to hurt myself or I'm going to do something silly. So yeah. it's right. like you'll just mellow out. The game's going to play. The game's going to be the game. Yeah. What you can control is how you approach the game. Okay. You don't want to approach that being up hype or too hype or over hype. Mm. All right, brilliant. Um, All right, so that concludes yet another episode of Black Guys in the Box. I've been Kofi Smiles. I've been Nate Sterling. Dom HT. And the Black Unicorn. And take it. Last minute guest, take it, Diego. (laughs) (laughs) Um, If you want to find us on all channels, we are at Black Guys in a Box. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and on Medium as well. Keep an eye out for future articles. I think Dom's. I'm very excited about what you've got coming up with Travel Noir. I think it's hopefully we get some stuff from the uh, good old BBC No Filter. We'll see. It sounds good. Um, If you want to find us, I'm at Covey Smiles. I'm at NazDesignMDI. At Dom underscore HT. At the Black Unicorn blog. And Teg, you need to plug your work as well because it's phenomenal. Animation and stuff like that. Come on, man. You're a freelancer. We're putting you out there. We put you on. Are you sure? No, no, no. Okay. I know I know his social tags. I, I, I know his social tags, so I'll put them in. Um, keep an eye out for us. We're going to be back. And yeah, if there's any suggestions, leave your thoughts and opinions in the comment box below. Like and subscribe. Get your friends and family to listen as well. So thank you very much. We'll be back soon. Bye. Peace.